Quadruple, maybe quintuple. Yes, truly a powerhouse <laughs> in all senses of the word, and also just a joy to hang out with. Yeah, we've gotten to know Alexis over the last really well over the last couple of years, and she's so refreshing to me because mm-hmm. she's such a great combination of lighthearted and fun, and also so self-aware for such a young person. Oh yeah, and she's got so much experience, like mm-hmm. practical experience. She works at Google and YouTube as her day job, and she's a content creator and also entrepreneur launching a robe product. She doesn't really talk about it in this episode. She alludes to it a little bit, but she came from, you know, a background where she really, you know, had to work to get to where she is today. And I think she's so thoughtful and well-adjusted and she's been through some tough stuff and she's still out there like doing her thing. You know, it's almost like it hasn't phased her. No. And she, I, I also feel like she's going to fight to exist joyfully she's very intent on yes working hard but doing so while having fun and I think that's a really amazing combination that is just kind of hard to always keep up not to say she doesn't have her days and she shares that and talks about that especially because of what she's faced online Mm -hmm. but I just think it's very admirable me too yeah she actively is choosing yeah And that's really impressive. We talk about a lot of stuff on this episode, including friends, obviously. It's kind of interesting because this whole series is we're so lucky to speak with all of these different creators who have had very different experiences building platforms and communities and products and services of all different kinds. But we've really ended up speaking a lot about the intersection of friendship, community, as it relates to work. It's been this really nice organic evolution. Yeah. And I think it's something that people who are entrepreneurs or content creators who work in singular jobs where it's not like clear exactly what you do. And also like your job very much is part of who you are or your identity. Like it's something that they we uniquely struggle with or yeah. we feel like we uniquely struggle with. And it's just been so cool to get some different perspectives and takes on it. Because a lot of lines are blurred that you're you're trying to navigate and then you're like, wait, how does my situation compare to someone else who's also a creator? And then trying to figure out how to make sense of your own through these like friendships and communities versus someone who's living a very different life or different job actually yeah that doesn't require such a intersection of yeah, categories exactly or just like if you really maybe boil it down it's like we just have really different priorities yeah not that yours are better or worse than mine we're just yeah. in different places in our lives so mm-hmm. is it possible to like still be close friends if we have different yes. priorities and yes. I think sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes the answer is no and that I think actually holds a lot of people back like mm-hmm. I was talking to someone who we're doing coaching with this week and we were talking about our money challenge that's in the north node it's Mm -hmm. our shadow work challenge so it's five days of shadow work around money in particular by the way Mm -hmm. doors are open to the north node yeah Yeah, doors are open to the north node today actually the north node is our private members community for creators and entrepreneurs intuitive entrepreneurs and you get like three years of honestly it's basically like college (laughs) but one of the very many many shadow work challenges that are inside focuses on money and something that comes up so often for people is that they are afraid of finding success or making more money because it'll alienate their friends Mm -hmm. and I know that was a huge thing for me of like well I'm supposed to be a starving artist and like that's what we all do and what if if I'm like I don't have that to complain about my friends still like me will we have anything in common and like it sounds so silly maybe but that was a real like unconscious fear for me and mm-hmm. I think something that held me back for a really long time yeah and also I think part of being an entrepreneur creator or someone who's in charge of their schedule in a big way you end up feeling 
very isolated because in our society now we have way less institutions that are delineating very clear times off where it's like this is religious, this is decided by the government or mm-hmm. work. And so I think as we're a little bit more stratified in our schedules and what that looks like, it makes it even harder to come together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Everyone's off and on on different times. Yeah. And I think that's something that is like so prevalent with entrepreneurs and creators who are doing a lot of solo work. And I think to the money aspect, it, it can be part of it. It's yeah. like choosing a different path. Right. It's like these layers on top of each other, right? Yeah. yeah we don't like necessarily work from nine to five. So we're not necessarily right. going to go to happy hour with you at right. five because my work doesn't necessarily end at that yeah, point. Yeah. And different priorities. Yeah. And maybe like you're doing this because you want to make more money or you yeah. want to find, you know, success or passion in yeah. the work that you do or you can't help but be called to it. Yeah which makes you sometimes feel insane. I remember starting holisticism and being like, I don't want to start this. <laughs> I really don't want to start this, but like I can't stop thinking about this thing and it won't leave me, it won't stop haunting me until I do. And that can be hard to explain to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also something we talk about in Creators Cashing In, which so much of it is about unearthing those things that really matter to you, that are calling to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and thinking about like, Alexis says it so perfectly in this episode. You can't just be an influencer. Like you have to have a plan for how you're going to scale the work that you do. Like you can get an audience for sure on TikTok, but like then what? And that's a lot of what we talk about in Creators Cashing In of like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. You're making content. Maybe it's going viral or maybe Mm -hmm. you've got a nice group of a thousand people who love what you do. How do you like actually make some money off of it? How do you make it valuable for you and, and pay you back? Because you deserve that. Well, this episode is really good and we're going to drop down in the show notes the creator archetypes because I think you can guess what archetype Alexis is after listening to this episode. But if you want to know what creator archetype you are and get a roadmap potentially for maybe the archetypal journey that you can follow as a creator to make profitable, intuitive, easy content to, you know, sort of build your empire if you're the empire builder then you can go ahead and get it in the show notes it's free just put in your email and we'll send you the link and also if you're kind of stuck or struggling with your content creation it's really helpful to look at the archetypes to understand like where you are at on your journey 100 percent. okay without further ado here's alexis Alexis, welcome to the 12th house. Thank you. I'm so excited. You guys know I'm a fan. You know I'm a 12th house (laughs) fan. I share it with everyone. Like when you guys took that break in December last year, I was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, wow. I'm stunned that you remember that. Thank you. That means a lot. That was like around the time where I came up with the idea for my product line. And I was like, I need some inspo, but nobody was speaking to me at the moment, you know? Yeah. I go through phases of that where I'm like, I can't listen to anyone right now. Or like, I need someone inspiring and new. Exactly. Like I have very specific feeling, like feelings of what I need with content. And this one always scratches the itch. So love it. Oh my gosh. I'm flattered. So honored. We have an icebreaker question. It's kind of a transparency question that you can pick between. The questions are, how much money do you make or how many friends do you have? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> can I answer both? If you, if you're, please. Yes, please. You also can answer if, neither yeah. if you yes. would like. Okay. Well, <laughs> and we can keep the ice. That's, that's fine. We don't have to break it. I feel like friends wise, I have my thing is I can't count them because I have a lot of individual friends. And then I have like multiple friend groups. Like I have work friends. I have my girlfriends who are probably my like closest, like there's like three of us. And then my boyfriend's friends. And then like, and then I have my camp friends because I went to Jewish summer camp out of nowhere. Oh yeah. Camp camp friends, Jewish summer camp friends go for life, Lifelong. Man lifelong and then I have my college friends so I have like a lot of different little groups but I did always struggle to feel like I don't have a friend group like what's wrong with me and so but now it's like I have multiple little friend groups but one thing about me I'm not answering a text like I'm so sorry but I do <laughs> like you could call me we like I won't have talked to you for two years and we can have dinner and we're still best friends sure but like 
I just, I think I'm a bad friend in that way. Like I prioritize answering my DMs over my text messages. So I, I'll give it like a 20, 20 to 30, but I don't talk to them regularly. I talk to them like once a month to year, you know? Yeah. You moved from New York to LA and I want to know how that like impacted your friend life. Because did you feel like you had to make a ton of new friends here? So what's cool about LA is that I, what I have in LA are close one-off friendships. I have like three people who are like, like who would do anything who I can talk to for hours, you know, 100%. And then I have work people there, which is primarily why I moved. What's interesting about LA though, is that I feel like I actually lost my work community, even though I moved there for a work community, because LA itself is just so spread out that people don't go to the office the same way that they do in New York. And so even though my close team members that I work with on a daily basis are in LA, they don't come in. So I don't really feel connected to them at all, which is what I originally decided to move there for, which is what I noticed in my two months there, but I, I've had to make friends. And what's cool about it is that I just, since I have those close friends there, I'm just asking them to connect me with whoever. And like, I'll just go to anything. Cause that's, and I've honestly really like, I feel very lucky to have like good friends in both places. Something that I, I'm so curious about too, is your point about not texting back. Because I think that I have noticed within my friendships, like some people are not don't care about that and don't they're not relying on that kind of communication for it to be important. And then other people will be really offended and really hurt and like really hold it kind of against the friendship for different reasons. It's not all the same. But how do you navigate that aspect of almost like teaching people how you're going to be in friendship? In a way, yeah, I think it's just setting expectations and boundaries. I think, like, Mm -hmm. something I feel like is I communicate with my friends via my close friends story on Instagram, and like, most of them know what's going on in my life from that. And, like, but I think people, like, I personally can't be friends with someone who's gonna hold against, hold it against me that I didn't answer a text unless that text is like a emergency which obviously I would answer an emergency text but I think that it's it's just setting expectations with people and that I feel like the types of people who get frustrated that you don't answer the text are chronically online and don't have anything better to do and all of my friends are busy so I don't really like relate to that frustration at all and I mean it's just you just have to set expectations with people and it it's like you have to change yourself or you have to change who you're going to be friends with. Like, that's really it. And I, for one, like, used to be really insecure about not having that friend group like I talked about before. But in reality, I ended up just, like, finding people who were right for me as opposed to, like, just trying to fit into the environments that I happened to be in. Snaps. Spicy take. And I love like that. Because I would say Wallace and I, I – Wallace, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we're not particularly – you know, like adroit texters. We're not like fast texters. I'm hot and cold. Yeah. Also, if you're pressuring me, I'm definitely not going to reply. If you're like, you know, trying to nail me down, I'm like, no, (laughs) sorry, I'm avoiding it. Someone who emphasizes the last text they sent, please. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Or like when they point up to it, they send a bunch of arrow emoji arrows pointing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Passive aggressive. I I think that's interesting, though, to your point of not like I, I will admit that at times where I have been maybe less engaged in my life in certain ways and more focused on nitpicking things, I can be more sensitive to things happening in friendships. Whereas when you're busy, you're super engaged in so many different aspects of your life. You're not focused on those things going wrong or slights from people and whatnot. And I think there is so much of that that changes when you're also in a different work environment or when you become an entrepreneur or start to your point, what you thought you might move out here for in friendships has been different. And I'm curious if you found more friendship even through your entrepreneurial community and your creative endeavors. For sure. I think like a lot of my close friends are also creators or entrepreneurs. And I think that's because one of the beauties of being on the internet is that you, if you show up as your full self, you'll meet other people who, who are similar to you. So 
One of my really, or two of my good friends in LA are Delara, aka Legal Baddie, and Alexa J. McCoy. Who, and both of them are the types of people where I can be my full self. I can talk about entrepreneurship. I can talk about what I'm interested in. Me and Delara talk about Abraham Hicks a lot. And like, that's <laughs> amazing. The only, that's the only person. <laughs> I can talk to Abraham Hicks about, you know, and like, and not feel like a psychopath. And like, it's a really great like experience to have because we're both being ourselves and that's why we can be ourselves in real life. And then I think like, so I think finding people through, I feel really lucky. Like when people ask me, how do you make friends in a new city? Be an influencer. Like that's not a real answer, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. Just be like super popular and famous on the internet. That's yeah, exactly. a surefire way. <laughs> exactly. But what I've done with that is I was looking for more entrepreneurial friends. And my friend Alexa has a friend named Jess who started her own wine brand, which was like a random idea I had had in like the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, oh, I'm going to start a wine brand. And then <laughs> like, that's too difficult, girl. It's so hard to get into alcohol. So Alcohol is a really hard industry to get into. Insane. So we, I had, I just like introduced myself, and then even though she's not necessarily an influencer herself, like I still want to get dinner with you, and we became friends. And her brand is called Whiny Baby, by the way. It's really <laughs> cute. And so I just feel like that's what you have to do is like ask people to connect you with other people, and that's really where it goes from there. And being open to doing that and not, I like, you have to give yourself like a challenge, like Dolma on, on TikTok. She's always doing those challenges. I challenged myself when I moved to LA to have like one social event with a new friend, like every week, which I would never do in New York because girl, there's too many people here, but I, I had to do in LA cause it's hard to make friends there. I think to your point about, you know, you're like, Oh, become an influencer. It's not that easy. But I think what you're saying also, or what I'm hearing is you're being yourself across multiple platforms, but situations. So that when things get rough, people can really get where you're at and understand where you're at. It's not like you're being yourself. You're being two different people in two different places. So then you have to somehow, you know, close that gap in friendships. It's like, no, you're making friendships with these people because they understand multiple sides of you. So yes, it's about being an influencer, but it also sounds like it's you having that trust in just being authentically yourself as, you know, corny as that can sound. It's not that easy. Well, I feel like that's, I still don't feel like I'm good at being myself online. Like I still feel like Delara, multiple friends were like, and you guys were like, talk about business because that's actually something you care about on TikTok. And doing that has been, has made it fun for me again. But I won't act like I've been authentic and real the entire time that I've been online for the last two years because I haven't. Like, I always felt like I had to show up a certain way. And I feel like I never know really what people think of me and I can't really care, but I can't, I never know exactly the point of view that's coming across, but I do still feel like being authentic is a struggle that I have to think about like daily on the internet for sure. But it is nice because like what, when you do make influencer friends, the girls who get it, get it. And that's the good part about it. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of your friends who are content creators or influencers are like, you know, on a scale of one to three of entrepreneurship, they're like a three level. I don't know if you just saw the Forbes, like 450 biggest influencers. Yeah. Or cash. I sure okay. did. And I, I had thoughts. Wasn't that article crazy? Publish the thoughts now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts? I work with creators daily, full time at my job yeah. on YouTube, which is, yeah. Also, if you're if you want, want to be an influencer, YouTubers make the most money. But um, they do. I mean, according to that list as well, Mr. Beast. I can't uh, believe Mr. Beast. I <laughs> I love that that man and I are the same age, same age. Uh, wow. Yeah. Very difficult to be on a call with him, and I'm like, you made hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but basically, my frustration was the highlighting of tanks really that's what it was I was surprised and by that it wasn't that they highlighted her it was that she made 11 million dollars off of insecure white girls like last year like that was just I was just like it's another thing where less balanced black less and I have talked about this a lot 
together. Uh, the frustration it feels, the frustration that comes up when you've worked really hard, you've been really strategic, you've bought courses, you have a Notion editorial calendar, and <laughs> you're posting consistently, you're being really well. And Jackie Ina also just posted a video about this too on YouTube where like we work so much harder and I haven't seen a million dollars, let alone 11. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's mm -hmm. what is, I think what was frustrating about it for me. And I think probably to other like influencers who are even in that same category of being like a wealthy, skinny white woman, like cool, like, but they haven't seen that amount of money. And I just found it was just fresh, another reminder, like, okay, you have to work harder to get I don't even want to say half as much anymore because I don't think we're, I don't think the twice as hard for half as much, that's not even close to what's happening here. I think that you just have to like, I, it just got, got frustrating for me. It's just another reminder. I had to unfollow Tinks long before her cancellation because I felt a sense of, it wasn't jealousy or envy. It was just anger where like mm -hmm. they, this person could be so like, not in not interesting no offense and like make so much money and such a career and be friends with celebrities and all of this and I and like not that I like have maybe I haven't worked as hard like on TikTok sure but like that or I wasn't there at the right time in the right place I'm fine with that I'm not saying that I should be compared to her as a human being I just think it's hard to be a creator and see that that can happen and it's probably not going to happen for you just because of what you look like. I also was struck by that entire list. I read through it and was like dumbstruck because I tend to underestimate about like how much people actually make. I just think that people are not as savvy as they say. Most businesses like Chamberlain Coffee is not doing well, even though it has, you know, distribution and a lot of press like it's not it's not turning profit. So a lot of those numbers like we know are inflated because they're valuations of like, here's what we think probably the brand is worth, not necessarily like take home pay. But I was really surprised by the entrepreneurship score that Forbes gave everyone. One being like, you're not that entrepreneurial to three being like, go girl boss, go. And how many people basically had, were super privileged to begin with, had some level of privilege, not just, you know, from their identity, racial or, you know, gender identity, but just like, oh, Tinks' parents are millionaires, <laughs> you know, and Emma Chamberlain has like two parents that basically dropped everything to like let like help her with her YouTube career and the D'Amelio's like starting they have their own VC fund at this point that like their parents started for them. Right. And how big of a difference that can make in when you were just getting started. That really was like the big takeaway for me from that article is like you better have someone who knows what they're doing on your team from the jump. Totally. And I also, I agree with you too, that not all creators are as entrepreneurial as they could be. I think a lot of people want followers, but they don't understand that followers mean nothing if you can't convert. That's why Tink's made so, like people with that, she does, she's not a big creator by any means, but she mm -hmm. made that much money because she converts. And I've always been of the, because I work with creators every day and I hear them come to me and be like, this video is not performing well. Like, and I can't get mad at them because it's their business, it's their livelihood, but you can't rely on an algorithm. You cannot rely on like relevancy. And so many creators just want the million subscribers, but I have always wanted the million subscribers so I could build a multi-million dollar business. Like you've got to think yep. bigger. It's like that TikTok sound. You're thinking small. We got to be thinking big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How I feel about it. And I think a lot of, like the entrepreneurial score too, like sometimes we, ugh, I can't with that. Yeah. You need a lot of privilege to get it. And I think I have, I do have that, which is why I sort of decided to go that direction of brand building as opposed to like building a personality on the internet. Cause it's burned me one too many times. Wait, will you talk about that a little bit too? how it's how it's burned you because I know that you've like you had like the experience that I think a lot of people fear when when it comes to being seen and you survived oh, yeah. I did yeah I think I my my influencer career started with hate it started with being publicly berated by a 50 plus year old woman and that's how I got followers. 
Had you had you been making content at that time, like consistently yes. at all? I have been posting my little recipes in my little disordered eating lifestyle on the gram. We've all under- we've all been there. We yeah, um, you know, a little health accountability account. Yeah, I had blocked everyone I knew on it. I had no intention of becoming an influencer, but I'd been doing that for probably like three months, three, four months by the time that that whole situation unraveled. And like, I, I guess like for if you aren't familiar, I was doing this diet, called out the founder for basically misleading people on Instagram. She decided that I was going to be the target of her frustrations. And instead of answering actual allegations of encouraging eating disorders, she decided to go live on Instagram and talk shit about me during my first day at Google, which was so it was literally my first day at my job. And I woke, I got out of my like first meeting with my manager and had like 7,000 Instagram followers. And it was just a very wild. Yeah. (laughs) It was a very wild time. I couldn't obviously keep this hidden from anyone I knew anymore because they'd all sort of found out that I had, because I had blocked, I had 300 people blocked on my page. Like I didn't want anyone to know (laughs) what I was doing. And so I was like, okay, I guess I have to do this. And I just continued with that on Instagram and evolved. Like I've had like five different niches. Like I sometimes will lose followers as fast as I'm gaining them because I just change my content up. And then I started TikTok secondarily and that's where my, my largest platform is. But I just sort of jumped into it. I've always been interested in content, but I've never been, I, I was planning on being a corporate girly for the rest of my life. Like, really? uh, at Google. girl, all my worth was up in that, you know, corporate Forbes vibe. Like I was, I got into Wharton as a senior. I was, I had had an Accenture internship, D to C, all this shit. Like I was just like, I'm going to be a business girl. And then eventually, like, maybe I'll start a company or something. But I was going to really ride it out at Google. Like, I plan to stay there for a long time. But, and I love Google, but I I work at YouTube now, which is owned by Google. And I, like, it's a great job, but I'd rather die than stay there for the next, like, 20 years. (laughs) Speaking of Fleabat and knowing when to pivot your content and when you're like, I'm not feeling this, this is not feeling like I'm on my path, what are the signs that you sink into when you're like, something's off here? For f- the real thing is when you're not enjoying it anymore. And that's like what, that's really what it is. I've spent probably the last like, because I had a secondary cancellation earlier this year too. When I had, really? my, when I had my podcast with Betches, there's lots of f- swirl about like why it ended. It ended because I quit, but I basically like it didn't, that podcast didn't align with my content, but I enjoyed doing it 100%. I love Talia forever, but I would say that like it becomes, then I, I just sort of tried to make the safest possible content after that and just show up on the internet, like as basic as possible. And the last like six months of making content have just felt like I was like, pulling teeth, like forcing myself to come up with ideas. And it wasn't until I really decided to go for it with the robes and talk about that, that I've enjoyed making it again. And that happened in the beginning when I was making food and wellness and eating sort of recover, not eating sort of disordered eating recovery content. That didn't feel like it was really my life anymore when I like, when I like moved to New York and was really going to the office, like I pivoted to doing that. And so the truth of it is, like, if you're not having fun, your people can tell. I stagnated. I feel like I had, like, months where I didn't have videos hit over 10K views. Like, there was time. Like, obviously, people know. If you're not happy, mm-hmm. it's gonna show. And so once you start feeling like it's just, like, you, if you don't want to watch the content you're making, then it's probably time to think about doing something else. Oof. Ain't that the truth? And and believe me, I did it for like six months. I was making shit, like not shit. It was good content because one thing about me, I can make good content, but it was content <laughs> that I didn't like. So if you're not, and I do this a lot, like I notice this a lot. If I post a TikTok with anxiety, like, I don't know if this is going to do well. Like, 
if I'm like, oh my God, if I, otherwise, or if I'm just having fun, it's really the energy you put into it that is the energy you're going to get out. So that's why I try to make content directly after meditating, directly after going on a walk so that I don't, and I don't consume before I create so that I know like this is going out with the purest of intentions as opposed to, oh my God, there's this trend. Like I have to make three trends videos today or else I'm not going to hit my little editorial calendar. Like, no, like you have to do it from a good place or else it's not really going to reach the right people. I think that that's like uniquely true with video and TikTok. Like I can force myself to write something. Lawless and I, that's the wonderful thing about having like a partner is you can get your energy up together. But like if I have to record a solo episode, you know, I can like get a boner up to do it. But when it comes to recording video, I have to be like so in it in order. It's just so hard for me, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think I feel that I feel that way with a lot of different content types. But I think it's like (laughs) you do have to just you do have to like especially with TikTok. And I think it might just also be uniquely TikTok because things move so quickly on there. You have to be really like intuitive with it or you won't really succeed. Like once you, once people can tell that you have an ounce of interest in being famous, they don't want to talk to you anymore. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's the inspired action, but I think it's true for podcasting too. Even looking at episodes that do the best, sometimes you're like, oh, mm, that's kind of surprising. That was a little bit more all over the place, or we had less of a plan or structure for that episode. And, but Mm -hmm. video, you can't fake. I spent, I was paid by TikTok to make videos for two months and I tried every type of video and I was like, this is not my medium. I don't like this. (laughs) I also think that's a good point like sometimes it's not your medium and like I find my medium by all means is long-form content like I Mm. making my vlogs I make like hour-long vlogs on YouTube they get literally like a thousand views I don't care because it's my favorite thing to do and those people I feel like are my truest core community that understand who I am and although they're not the 100,000 million or whatever views that are on TikTok, they get it. Like they know who I am. And like, I do TikTok strictly because I have to grow my platform and you have to do that to be on the internet these days. In in my humble opinion, short form video is just what's happening right now. But my preferred medium is YouTube. What I'm not great at is taking those outfit pics for the gram. Like it's not fun for me. I, I, I do it, but it's not fun for me. That's not my medium. And like, I also prefer Instagram stories to making a TikTok about my day. Like, it's just, it's just the truth. And sometimes you just have to like suck it up and make your trend video. But at the same time, like you can just find solace in knowing that you're doing something that you really like on a different medium. I mean, amen. I've tried so many mediums. <laughs> I <laughs> love TikTok and I, I respect TikTok so much, but I... I think it's so interesting to that point, even how people are using Snapchat still as like a major message communication tool. People feel that it's a better way to be in contact with friends. And that's so interesting that it's used primarily as a message app. I can't, I mean, I know that's what all the kids use these days. Like, I don't use Snapchat at all. And then I was at home with my family, and that's all they do. And I was like, And I'm the oldest of eight kids. So like my siblings are all different ages. Too many fucking kids. No, (laughs) but like they are all very, they're all different ages, but they're all using Snapchat. And so I think it's very interesting too because I started, I did Snapchat in like 2014 when I was in high school. Like I was using Snapchat too, but they're using it like instead of texting now. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I also wonder how Be Real is going to like play into that because Be Real feels like close friends. It does. I think Be Real is, I haven't used it yet. I just downloaded it, but I do think it's interesting. Why, like, why are you using Be Real if you're going to post it on Instagram? What's going on? Like, I, Liz, one thing about me is I love an aesthetic girl on the gram. I can't <laughs> do it, I can't make that content because I just, I don't have the eye for it, but I live for your psychotic Paris background. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like 
I love it. Like, keep going, girl. Like, I love that. Like, it is a fa- it, Like, I do like that. I think that it's impossible to be yourself on the internet fully. You, no one can really capture who you are, and that's a good thing. But it's also like, let's stop expecting what we see the 2% of someone's life that we see to be really them. And that's, I think, why I've had so many fresh, like frustrations with being seen. And when I had backlash anytime that I've had that, I was just trying to be myself, of course, but like people can't really know who you are. So they can't really hate all of you, even though they think they are. It's such a good point. Also thinking about how we treat other people. Once you become a creator of any kind, it totally changes your perception of other creators and how you relate to them. And I think also to the point of the Forbes article that we were just talking about, I've been in so many situations where those huge articles come out about the company you're working at or somebody you're you're (laughs) working closely with, and they are so far from the actual truth of what's happening. But then when you don't really know that scenario, we take those articles because Forbes is reputable as this is what's happening. But just also remembering that that is the tip of the iceberg of those creators scenarios. And it's so hard to have that perspective. It is. And I meet so many creators that like, I'll meet randomly. And then my boss will be like, yeah, they have 10 million subscribers. I'm like, I've never heard of this person, but okay. And like, but like no offense to the gamers that I meet at work. I don't <laughs> not know. But like the, the, that type of thing is like, you'll meet them in person and they'll be completely different from what they are online. Yeah. But the other thing is like, I hate to say, but when I found out about like the Reddit snarks about us and I went to see, like, you know, what are the vibes? What are the girls saying about me? And the thing is, like, what gives me peace is that they are making shit up on there. Like, it's Mm -hmm. literally false because I know these people in real life. I know how they are. A lot of influencers on there, a lot of them, they get a lot of things right, sure. But, like, they, a lot of, like, the scenarios that they were bringing up about me were just so false that I was, like, You've got to be crazy to be coming up with this. And so if that gives you any like peace, if you're a creator or if you're someone who's like worried about being like perceived the wrong way, that's because people are determined to perceive you in a different way to make themselves feel better. It's really nothing to do with you. Like when I moved to LA, one of the girls was like, well, her boyfriend's definitely going to break up with her because she moved to LA. What do you know about my relationship? Like that's, and like, that was just so far from the truth that I was like, wow, like this is just because she doesn't want me to be happy. And she wants to project this like idea that you can't move and have a man at the same time, as opposed to like, oh, look at this girl who's making it work with her boyfriend, despite wanting to be in a different location. So I think people will always be determined to misunderstand you. And there's also people who will be determined to understand you. And those are the people to focus on instead. It's something I like literally repeat to myself every single day because like that people will choose to perceive me however they want, no matter how perfect I am, no matter how, how much, what I tell them about who I am, no matter how authentic I am, no matter if I give them my background and my story, they'll still decide to think of me however they want to think of me. And that's like both really liberating in a way because you're like, well, (laughs) might as well just like YOLO, but also intimidating because I think it can put you into like almost paralysis of like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm also just really curious what you think about this, Alexis, around the life cycle of followers and fans or the people who are in your community and maybe how you've seen them evolve or change. I think that there's like this sort of archetypal journey where followers become like interested in you and then they become obsessed with you. And then there's some sort of thing that happens where they get sick of you, like oversaturation almost. And it can go in maybe a couple directions, like they take a break or they kind of like turn to snark. I think that most of people who snark were super fans of the people that they followed before. Period. I mean, just ask yourself. I'm sure if you're listening to this, I'm sure you all have experienced this where you find someone you love and you're like obsessed with the content, you want to be them. And then 
you're like, wait, like this is starting to annoy me. And most, I think a lot of it comes out of jealousy, but I think like a good example of that was something Navy, Ariel Charnas. Like I like was never obsessed with her, but I was in a Jewish sorority in college. So I was surrounded by people who were obsessed with her. I used to train, I used to train Ariel and her sister. No way. Yeah. She's really nice in person. Really, really. I'm sure she is like, but the hate on that woman is out of this world. Like people hate her and I remember being in college when the sort of like obsession switched from oh my god did you see what she's wearing to oh my fucking god she's so annoying and blah 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 blah. I don't really care because I love your apartment and your clothes are cute so I'm gonna follow (laughs) you anyway but I feel like people have this obsession where they would hate follow her and they'd hate dm her and they'd hate like um like people I knew in that sorority I'm like it just doesn't make sense because if you really hate someone, like you unfollow them and then you move on with your life. But some people are obsessed with being miserable. So I think, or they're just not used to being not miserable, which is another thing we can talk about. But I think that that cycle is extremely real and most people are fans before they become haters. But it's when your the person you love evolves faster than you think is possible is when you get really frustrated because you're like, oh, like, I didn't realize like, oh, why does Ariel Charnas have a line with Nordstrom? Like, that's crazy. Then you start taking that as like, oh, she's successful. And like, it's, it's and I'm not. And like, that's really where I think it comes from is it doesn't have to be about success. It doesn't have to be about money. It could also just be that she's out of touch and said something you don't like. But the second you stop identifying is when you sort of start projecting what you think is impossible. Because a lot of the hate I get is not... Alexis, you're mean or you're nasty. It's you're so out of touch and like, or you're so like, you're not relatable or you're not humble enough. That's the one I get. Like, you're not humble enough. I don't particularly think of myself as someone who brags a lot, but like I am, when I say I have a job at Google, I'm not bragging. It's just a fact. And so I think that like, I, I like, I'm sorry. It's not, and believe me, I complain about it a lot. Like I'll be at work talking shit. But like, I just think that it's important to re- remember that like, you follow people because they have different lives. You follow people because you don't relate to them. And like, I feel like I don't even relate to everything you all talk about and I still love you. But that doesn't mean like, like, and I just think it's weird. Like, you have to do a lot of self or shadow work or whatever, like self-reflection if you want to have this job. And if you don't want to do it, it'll be done for you. I'll tell you that much. But I think that that life cycle is extremely real. I think it's like, it's really interesting to also watch people come back around to go from like, Mm. ugh, I'm so annoyed by you. I need to take a break. Unfollow, refollow, unfollow, refollow. I'm sure you see that a lot. I've done that with one. I do that with one influencer because I don't agree with her political views. And it's just, it's hard because the content's great, but you've just, and I would, (laughs) I would like, oh, I really don't like that you did this and then unfollow and then be like, hmm, what's she doing? And then something about, not getting vaccinated. I'm like, I gotta go. I can't be here anymore. So it's just right. like, I thought you changed, but you didn't. So I've, I feel like it's tough by all means, but at the end of the day, their influencer, the influencer life cycle is very real, but it doesn't really last past 10 years. So you've always got to be thinking about what to do in the interim, or you've got to have a rich husband. So you've got to figure <laughs> it out. Choose one. You got to be a Scala sister. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. Favorite. I'm a stan. They're probably not vaccinated either, but I'm a stan. They're so funny on TikTok, though. I feel like, like speaking of personalities, I'm so like interested in watching these people who are huge on Instagram, especially like Mormon mommy bloggers, like Amber Filler Up, mm-hmm. and how like, and in Rachel, like, they have complete, they're kind of slutty on Insta- on TikTok. They're I'm like, sluts. yes, get it, slutty moms. I love Let it. it Utah, Utah is slutty. Like, it's so <laughs> crazy. Like, what they, I live for it. It's so good. Speaking of Real Housewives is coming, Salt Lake City is coming back, and I'm so excited to it's see. It's the most dramatic. It's most. like, that's like real shit that's happening there, as opposed to Beverly Hills, which is just dark sided. Beverly Hills this season has actually made me like anxious to watch. Like it's it's sad. not it's not good. It's horrible. It's horrible what they're doing. And er- can we get Erica Jane off of television, please? Can we get Thank her you. in 
prison maybe like i mean you know all cops are bad you know abolish prison but also but also person (laughs) knowing her ass this is a question for current or future you okay if you could whisper something to any versions of your past self what would you say what would you whisper in her ear you always get what you want like that's probably it Ooh, I love that's that. That's a new one. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I just got chills. I mm. just forget. Like, I just always forget. And I work myself into this. Like, I did it today about my robes. And then I, but like, I just bounce back faster now. But I just got really frustrated about like two, like one financial situation, one timing situation. And I stopped on my walk. I was like, first, you need to eat something. Second of all, you all it always works out like every situation you've ever been in like even when you make mistakes it either teaches you something or you always figure it out and you always get what you want and I think that that has been the the thing that I wish I could just keep reminding myself so that I could have less of those really anxious breakdowns and have more of the like excitement and appreciation of being in the moment I like that too from a perspective of like deep down, you always got what you want. So you're always creating your reality. So if something feels really hard or difficult, it's because you want it to be really hard or difficult. Yeah. Like that's what I've had to really stop myself with entrepreneurship from making it harder than it needs to be. Uh, Of being like, oh, like, oh, I like when it comes to product development or something like that or order quantities or whatever, I was like, I'm just going to like project the order quantity and launch it holiday and like it'll be hard, but I can do it. And then I was like, no, you don't actually have to. You could just do yours <laughs> and see what people want. And like you could make it easier for yourself. But we're just taught that. And I especially was taught this because I have a very chaotic household. I've gone through so much like in just my background and where I come from that where everything is hard, like in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. every, everything is hard. Everything is life or death or whatever. And it's like getting out of that place where like somebody has cancer, somebody got shot, something crazy is happening at all times to being in this place now where it's like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. I'm creating my reality. It's like, it's a privilege and I don't believe everyone in the hood can create their own reality because of yeah. systemic issues. But I do think it's like, you really have to unlearn trauma that like trauma is what creates happiness because it's not, it creates contrast. Sure. But like now that I have this place where I can build my own like life and build my own business, I'm like really trying to avoid creating situations where I have to work harder just because I thought that that's how it had to be. Well said, well said. Thank you. Okay. Just to like take a left turn. Last question. We are obsessed with tools, obviously, as Notion girlies and iPad girlies. What are your top tools, apps, notebooks, habits, the things that like you literally cannot live without, you can't do your job without? Google Tasks feature, 100%. I have- say more. I've never used that. And I saw my husband use it the other day and I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Listen, I stole your Monday hour one. I can't use the Notion template. I love you very much, but I can't. Like Notion, I'm just- I love her, but she's like a once a day type of thing, not a like coming back to type of thing. I will do Monday hour one in the Google Tasks feature and assign anytime I have something that I have to do, period. You could be sitting in your docs, you could be sitting in your email, you could be sitting in your calendar and you just go to the left, the little chip, the the right. I don't know my left or my right. I really don't. Me neither. No, I I always have to hold it up. (laughs) I have to be like- The right side. Oh. To yeah, do that, same. I'd be like, L's could be both ways. Like that. No, exactly. Sometimes I still get it wrong. Like I'm a horrible <laughs> passenger. But you go to the right side, there's a little circle with a check mark in it. That's the tasks feature. And every week I sit down or every day, because it changes, I'm a Sagittarius. And I like write down all my tasks in there and I assign the times to them and you just move it around. And also you can have the app on your phone. And so I'll wake up in the morning and she'll tell me, she'll be like, these are your tasks for the day. And I have a separate one on my work email and on my personal email. And it's just a great way to like, not have to leave your email, but still be able to make a to-do list and the and vice versa. So 
Google Tasks, I can't live without her. And also my Alexa. <laughs> she and I, we're like this. Like we are, we are so close. Okay. Well, you have like some very similar names, you know, you're like kind of. Uh, see, see, for a while we had beef because I couldn't be having that. And now, and everybody was calling me that word. And I was just so frustrated because <laughs> I was like, you guys are getting my name wrong. Like Jeff Bezos has ruined my life. Then... <laughs> Then I started, I got the little Echo Dot and like, I will tell her to remind me of things. She'll add stuff to my cart. Like I use the rain sounds every night to go to sleep. She controls my lights. Like, and also this is all because my boyfriend forced me to. This is, was not intentional. He was like, you have to get these lights. He found them on Facebook Marketplace and biked to get them for me. And I was like, I don't care about these lights. I love the lights. They're great. And so now. (laughs) Me and the lights are one. (laughs) <laughs> Literally. And I have uh, them in every room. So those are my two things I just really can't live without. Like, and have been, wow. they've been a part of my life for like multiple months now. Cause everything else changes like every five minutes, but those two are definitely have been there for a while. Are they the Hugh Phillips lights that you program? Yeah, exactly. Yes, precisely. Yeah. Those ones. We had them in a studio that I used to work in and we'd always set the alarm so that it would be Hawaiian vacation lighting for us to come in. <laughs> They're so fun. So fun. You can really set the tone for your exactly. evening, your Wait, party, your Now day. I want those. I want those in here now. And my lady done. It's a need, not a want. Lighting is everything. Before we sign off, we know that you have a really exciting launch coming up, which we will have to have you also on our other podcast because we want to hear all about the journey. But where can people find more info about your luxurious robes? I would love to tell you. So... On my personal TikTok, Alexis Barber, I'm sharing the journey. So if you want to hear about that, hit me up. Go watch. And then on my, on Two Collective on Instagram and TikTok is where you can see the the robes in their final form. You can also listen to my podcast, Too Smart for This. And if you want to sign up and actually get them, it's twocollective.com. Or you can sign up at our email list at twocollective.norby.live, which is... So fun. I can't wait. Wow. The girls are not ready. I'm not ready, but you're going to love it. <laughs> but they will it's be. It's all going to come together. Yeah, I can't exactly. wait to order mine. So when can people make their pre-orders? When it, How do we get in line? From September 19th to October 2nd or the first week of October, they will be their pre-orders will be live. And the first 1,000 orders are guaranteed delivery by November. But if you order after that, then you are at the mercy of my manufacturer. So that is, so got to get started as soon as possible. And so starting next week for two weeks, the sales page will be open. Amazing. Ooh, we'll link it. You could be in the first thousand. So get, uh, run the, run click the, the link. Wall. These robes, <laughs> here's why they're better. They have an attached belt because why is the belt not attached you hate losing it in the wash they have adjustable sleeves so you can you know wash your face without it getting everywhere and they're also an incredibly soft plush material that does not you know lose its touch with the wash if you wash it correctly so you'll love it also great length great yeah we've We've seen them on yeah yeah they don't need to be to the floor we need to show our delicate ankles. Gotta... Exactly. <laughs> and they're stretchy enough that if you want to curl up at some point, you can fit those legs underneath, but not when you're walking around, you know, they need to be breathable. The two cozy robe available for pre-order September 19th. I love we can't it. Wait. I can't wait to get mine. I hope it comes immediately after I've given birth in November. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Necessary for that time of life. True. Really. Yeah. I'm just a lazy bitch who didn't like my function, my horribly unfunctional $400 robes. That's really what it was. (laughs) Got to design it better. You're solving a much needed problem. (laughs) Absolutely. So thank you. And also thank you guys for your support. It really means a lot. So of course, please. It's you, you make it easy. We love what you do. Huge fan. Thank you. Love what you do too. Look at this. (laughs) mutual (laughs) thank you so much this was so fun to talk to you bye the 12th house is produced by yours truly wallace miller blanchard our theme music is made by nathan mckay and our wonderful editing is done by softer sound studios who you can find more information about in our show notes